What a blessing it is for us to be able to celebrate our graduates. I can't help but be encouraged by um, the variety of life milestones that we get to engage in together as a church family. Um, dedications of little ones, like little Gabriel, and the weddings like we got to celebrate of Levi, and Lord, we are so thankful to him that we get to have these milestones that we celebrate, and now we have graduations with Hannah and Alyssa in Kenya, and all the other ones have baptisms, birthdays, moves, retirements, new births, and even funerals. They're all opportunities for us to reflect on the ways in which God has providentially cared for us in the days past and to trust him in the days to come. One effect I find is that these occasions all bring into a bit of a focus the progression of the Christian life. Celebrating a graduation or other such milestone will, for better or for worse, transport many of us back to our experience of that milestone. And sometimes that takes us back to a joyful time celebrating a graduation or even a painful time, which also can be celebrating a graduation. But whether it's joyful or painful or a mix of both, um, it also gives us some perspective. Who are we today compared to who we were back then? Have we grown or have we regressed? What might we change if we had the opportunity? Are we more Christ-like today? Have we grown in our Christian walk? Today's passage that we're going to look at fits squarely in that genre. Our students are looking forward. Um, I know living in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic, many of us are looking forward. But when we look back on these days, when we look back and see how we've lived in light of the truths that we know, what will we see? Would you pray with me as we start to dive into our text this morning? Lord, again, we glorify you for the opportunity to worship this morning. And Lord, we pray that by the working of your Holy Spirit on our hearts through your word, Lord, that we might be made more like your son Jesus Christ in our walk and in our hearts, Lord. And God, I ask that you would make our hearts fertile ground for your word and that we might bear fruit for your gospel wherever we go. God, we commit this service to you. I commit my words to you. And Lord, I ask that by these words you would glorify yourself. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as some of you probably would assume, today we are continuing to walk through the book of Hebrews. And here we break into the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 2, specifically verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 is the first of five warning passages found in the book of Hebrews. And these warning passages have sometimes acted like landmines for many who are unprepared and have misunderstood them 
throughout history. These warnings caution against the danger of departing from the faith one way or another, whether intentionally or not. And this has caused many among us to, to doubt the security of their salvation. Am I really saved? How can I be sure? Can I become unsaved? Under the topic of salvation in our church constitution, which for those of you who don't know is available on our website and Tony can get you a copy if you're interested, it kind of goes through some major things that we as a church hold to. And under the topic of salvation, we state, those whom God has effectually called shall be divinely preserved and finally perfected in the image of the Lord. This means that if you are truly saved, then we can claim the promise of Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39, which says that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. However, what's kind of at stake here is not whether or not you can be unsaved. It's whether or not you are saved in the first place. And Christ gives a promise to those who are saved in John 10, verses 28 to 30, saying, I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I want to affirm the teaching that you've received regularly from this pulpit over the years, that if you are one of God's chosen people, if he has called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into his kingdom, then you are and always will be saved. My reason for reinforcing this comes again from this warning that we receive from today's primary scripture passage in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. This warning against drifting away from the faith is directed particularly at those who would have claimed to believe but did not truly have saving faith, but it also has an application for those who have believed and would persevere unto the day of glory. So let's read our passage together this morning. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Chapter 1 of Hebrews that we went through a number of months ago um, has repeatedly reinforced the supremacy of Christ. Christ is greater. His supremacy over Moses and the prophets, as well as his supremacy over the heavenly host, over angels. 
And the beginning of chapter 2 gives us something of a so what, a rubber meets the road moment. Christ is supreme, particularly over angels. And because he is supreme, we must be careful to follow the truth of the good news that he proclaimed by his incarnation, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The warning we are to heed here is that we have to be cautious of drifting away from what we have heard. And what it is that we have heard is the topic of that whole first chapter of Hebrews. And I'll read a chunk of it, that in these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That, in a nutshell, is the truth that we cannot afford to drift away from. And I want you to take a moment here and step back and recognize that this warning is not against intentional or willful or even obviously demonstrable wrongdoing. Those warnings will come later in Hebrews, but this warning is against that slow drifting away that unfortunately many of us have seen in friends and family members and even in our own lives possibly. And the Greek word that's used here is kind of a nautical term and it implies kind of a boat drifting away from the dock or an object drifting downstream. There's a reason why you or I, and I assume that many of us here have been on a boat, but when we get off a boat, the first thing we do is tie that boat down to the dock. For the fishermen here, when you find that fishing hole that just is working that day, you don't just sit there and fish and hope that you stay on top of that hole. You drop anchor there and secure yourself in that spot. Because in the water, we naturally drift with the current. And it only takes a single interaction with the world, a single keystroke on our computers, or even a momentary instance of self-reflection for us to recognize this truth that we can read in Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. In verse 9 of Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There should be no question in the mind of a believer as to whether mankind as he exists today is naturally good or naturally evil. No even halfway decent parent will intentionally teach their young child, their toddler, to hit, bite, steal, hoard, disrespect, dishonor, or lie. But if you're a parent or have spent any time around parents and small children, you know that a child has to be actively trained up in the way that he should go, the way we are commanded in Proverbs 22. 
I haven't taught my children to disobey me. I haven't taught my children to lie. I didn't have to teach David that a good idea when he's crawling around the house is to just bend over and bite one of his siblings. That's not something I have to teach my children. But they do it anyways. We aren't told as parents and as the church to simply just bubble our children and protect them from negative outside influences. Yes, we are supposed to protect our children, but we have to fight against this sinful nature of humanity from birth until death. From the very moment we start on earth, for those of us who grew up in believing households, we, I hope we have had the blessing of parents who have attempted to train us up in the way that we, we should go. And then as we set off on our own, that kind of becomes our own prerogative to seek after the things of God. We leave the protection of our parents' household and parents, we pray that we have equipped our children in such a way that they have the necessary tools to survive in the world outside of our home. And we pray that they will become involved in a church that will continue to feed them in their Christian walk. But we have to fight against the current of this world. One of my favorite quotes is from John Owen. And for any of you who have read John Owen, you will know that he is not the easiest person to read. He's a very, very smart man, and a lot of what he says goes over my head. But one of his quotes says, Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Your being dead with Christ virtually, your being quickened with him, will not excuse you from this work. If we are not ever vigilant, paying close attention to the gospel of truth that we have heard, we will drift away from it. And believer or not, we must be daily at work killing the sin that crops up in our lives. And I want to again affirm that if you are one of God's chosen people, then you are and always will be saved. For some of us, the need for that reminder might seem a little strange. Some out of willful ignorance and some by the gift of God never really struggle with that question. And the question of whether we are truly saved is not something that some people ever really have to wrestle with. But for others, it is a daily and agonizing struggle. Am I or am I not one of God's chosen people? Am I saved or do I just think that I'm saved? And I want to encourage you that, one, if that question regularly bothers you, that's probably a good thing. And two, I want to encourage you with the words of James that we are to act out our faith. Our faith is a living faith. That a faith without works is dead. So our lives 
can only be saved by the work of God, but we can also be living in such a way that proves out the salvation that we've received from the Lord. Turn with me a moment to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to take a look at the parable of the sower. This will be familiar to most of us, but perhaps in light of this warning, it will make a bit more sense. This parable really closely mirrors a lot of the warnings in, in Hebrews. And it goes like this. Starting in verse 3. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And Jesus goes on to explain that parable, starting in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Initially, the plants in the rocky soil and the thorny soil would likely have seemed to be the gospel flourishing. These plants spring right up and begin to grow. But it was only upon the time for the production of fruit that a person can truly tell whether that gospel had truly grown into saving faith. It is only those who persevere unto the end that are the ones who are truly called. But those whom God has chosen will persevere. And their lives will be marked by a production of fruit for the gospel and for the glory of God. This is why we have to pay attention to the gospel we have heard lest we drift away from it. We must remain rooted and planted in the gospel. So chapter 1 of Hebrews spent some time making sure the supremacy of Christ over the angels. And now in chapter 2, the author of Hebrews points back to the angels while comparing the message that they declared with the message declared at the coming of Christ. He says that since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. 
The message here declared by the angels is that of the Old Covenant law, the Old Testament. It was something that we don't hear a whole lot of as we read through the Old Testament, but if we look at the authors of the New Testament in various places, the understanding among the Jewish people were that the Old Testament law was delivered and mediated by angels. And this Old Testament law was a no-nonsense cause-and-effect system. Any look through the words of the Old Testament will recognize the unescapable finality of the judgments for contravening the law of God. A prime example has to be the 40 years spent wandering in the wilderness for refusing to trust the Lord. For every contravention, there was a consequence. And upon the incarnation and resurrection of Christ, there dawns a new covenant. But Christ stated in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Today, there remains a strict cause and effect to the contravention of the law. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of that ultimate sacrifice in Christ. Every transgression or disobedience today still demands a just retribution. Every sin that we commit, every time that we fail to follow God's law, there is still a consequence to that action. And Christ has stood in our stead under the holy wrath of God to receive that retribution in our place. There is no doubt in my mind and hopefully in yours of the heinousness of sin. To break the law of God is to spit in the face of our Creator. It is to deny His Lordship and choose to go our own path. It is to place ourselves as an idol before the Lord of hosts. But what the author of Hebrews here is getting at is how much more despicable is it to be unwilling to just put in the effort to tie the boat to the dock, to bind our hearts by the word to the truth that Christ came and lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the sinner's death that we deserved. He has risen again, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We are warned, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We are offered this salvation. It is put before us in clarity through the word of God. It is preached regularly from and constantly from the pulpit in this church and in many churches around our world. And we have this salvation declared to us and how awful is it that we take a look at what Christ has done, what God has done for us through Christ and go, I'd prefer to do my own thing. This salvation that we have declared to us is not only and simply declared by pastors and preachers today. 
It's not only declared by mankind. It's not even just declared by the angels. But it was first declared by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. So Christ comes and he declares the truth. And those who've listened to Christ, he, they come and declare the truth. And then those who heard those people are declaring the truth. And if that wasn't enough, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed by his will. The Lord doesn't ask us for simple blind faith. It isn't just a case that we as Christians just have to believe and hope we're right and just pick a religion, stick to it, and hope that you pick the right one. Salvation was first proclaimed by Christ himself. This God-man proved who he was by his actions and by his life. And people who actually saw and sat under his teaching then picked up that banner and then taught those that came after them. And if that wasn't enough, God also has borne witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles. Now, admittedly, we don't see too many lepers being cleansed today or blind men receiving their sight. That isn't a daily occurrence among our midst. But often we get wrapped up in this need for the flashy miracles that we fail to see the miracle of changed hearts and lives that we see day in and day out around us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I praise God regularly that the various gifts and fruits of the Spirit are ever on display among my brothers and sisters here at Elk Point Baptist Church. It is in this miracle of the changed life that the Christian we can find comfort in the face of this rather severe warning by the author of Hebrews by searching our hearts and our lives for the good fruit of the gospel. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We can't. If we neglect that salvation, allowing ourselves to be carried along by the current of this world, we will eventually be carried off the precipice of damnation that lies at the end of a godless life. We may claim a knowledge of him, but our lives will show that sickly, weed-choked, rock-scorched husk of a plant that could have been. And Christ will say at the end of all things, depart from me, for I never knew you. These people who claim, oh yeah, I was, I was a Christian, I did some good things. I did some things in the name of Christ and Christianity, but never had real faith. But if we have been paying close attention to what we have heard, unless we drift away from it, then we will inevitably see the fruit of a changed life. As the sower's parable indicates, we will see a multiplied harvest in the life of the true believer, and we shall one day enter the prepared rest for all who have endured in faith. I mentioned earlier when speaking of our graduates that 
our students are in a period of looking forward. And many of us living in the midst of this COVID-19 business are looking forward to a day that these various restrictions and the craze over all of this would end. And I asked, when we look back on these days, when we see how we've lived in light of the truths that we know, what will we see? Will we look back in six months, a year, in ten years, and see that we have paid close attention to what we've heard? Or will we look back and see that we've slipped away from this dock and we have failed to secure ourselves to the truth of the gospel? My encouragement to our graduates and to every person here and to every person that is watching online is to make fast your moorings to the gospel. Lay up the words of the Lord in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as frontlets between your eyes as Israel is commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It is far too easy for us to drift away from God's truth. And without daily intentional effort on our parts to immerse ourselves in his word, we will look back and see ourselves downstream from Christ, having to fight against the current of this world to even return to where we are today. We will not naturally grow closer to God just in our current state. We have to put in the effort. We have to spend time in the Word. We have to spend time in prayer. We have to spend time with our brothers and sisters in the faith and encourage one another. We will not grow closer to God on our own. Just hoping that I become a better Christian by going about my life and being a good person. It doesn't work that way. This is not a Sunday-only salvation. Coming to church will not do the trick. Well, at least I get my dose of God and the Bible on Sundays. That's not enough. That is enough to make you feel good that you have done something. And then at the end, if that is all that you have ever done is you've shown up to church on Sundays, you will realize that that was a 100% waste of your time. If you are not going to put in that daily effort to follow Christ, then being here is just a placebo of, okay, I got my dose of God. Do not neglect the great salvation that was declared to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Make fast your heart to the word of God by steeping yourself in it day in and day out. Even just start with 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Start with something. Because admittedly, it takes some work to build up that habit. And it will be uncomfortable. Some of us non-morning people will have to grit and bear it that, you know what, I need to start my day with the word. Some of us non-night owls will need to stay up a little bit later and spend some time in devotions and prayer. And we will have to daily submit ourselves to what we have learned from that word and see that fruit 
become evident in our lives and cultivate it and care for it and trust that God will do his work. Will you pray with me this morning? Lord, we tremble in the face of the warnings in Scripture. Lord, none of us wants to see ourselves at the end of all things as one who put on the right face and did some of the right things but never truly believed. Lord, I pray that each one here and each one listening would pay close attention to the truths that they've heard. That the gospel would not simply be another story. The gospel would not simply be something that gets a group of people together to talk about God on Sundays, but that would be their hope in life and death. That you would be our hope in all things. Lord, I trust this congregation to your care this week. I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here. Each one of my brothers and sisters listening. And Lord, for each one of us, I pray that you would continue to conform us to the likeness of your Son by the work of the Holy Spirit through your Word. That we would not live this Sunday-only Christianity, but that our lives would be devoted to rooting out and killing the sin in our lives and replacing it with something so, so much better. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning and commit the rest of our Sunday and the rest of our week to you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.